0: Welcome to the dallas Space Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Lauder. Innovation comes in so many forms, in so many different ways. We believe this entire Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is covered with people innovating. We designed this podcast to highlight the innovative things those business leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, problem solvers, the real innovators are doing day in, day out. As always, this show is brought to you by my company, LouderCo. We find companies' profits through artificial intelligence and better operations, like when we helped a massive Fortune 500 company build out their AI strategy to create breakthrough new food and beverage categories, or when we redesigned the operations of a $100 million services company to add $10 million in net profit to their bottom line. To learn more about us, head to our website, louderco.com. Be sure to download free guides and presentations like our Intro to Artificial Intelligence presentation, or see if your company is even ready for AI through our AI readiness assessment tool. We're about to get the show started. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribed and left us a review. And now enjoy our guests and enjoy the show. All right, welcome to the dallas Space Innovators Show presented by Louder Co. I'm Andrew Louder. I'm so thankful to have our guests on the show today. His name is Trey Hubler, co-founder of Ceres Technologies and also CEO of the nonprofit Hunger Busters. Saris is a blockchain company enabling IoT for supply chain of perishables. I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about that. And then Hunger Busters, they provide 420,000 meals annually to food insecure elementary and middle schoolers in West and Southern Dallas. So really cool, impactful
1: things. Welcome to the show, Trey. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate you making the invite and uh, putting this podcast on. Yeah, you bet. I know you've had uh, numerous guests, and I've heard we three or four of the podcasts, and nice. they're dynamic, so. So you're the guy who's been listening. <laughs> I'm multiple, multiple <laughs> click. <So yeah. laughs> thank you for that. Thank
0: yeah. you for keeping it going, Trey. And thank you to all our listeners out there. <laughs> well, Trey, uh, we like to kick off the show with just a good one to two minute bio. You know, tell me about yourself, where you've been, You know, where you came from, that sort of thing, what you're up to.
1: Sure. Well, um, I am a German, uh, Catholic descent. Uh from Ohio. My father um, moved us down here in 1984 uh, to work in the real estate world. Um, and that's where I began my career at uh, 15 years old. Wow. I was working in multifamily developing of um, apartment complexes in uh, Plano and Dallas and um, the surrounding areas. Um, so I'm uh, the oldest of three and um i say that because i don't know if previous uh guests have talked about this but uh a lot of uh, the way a person is formed and yeah. their ideas come from their birth order mm-hmm. and me being the oldest and, and my siblings will uh agree with this is uh i'm rather headstrong and determined and driven and that's why i have uh two great endeavors in my life right now um but Uh, I was in real estate for many years um, on the construction side and also in the uh, tenant rep side. Mm -hmm. And um, I always had a drive to be international. And so in college, I took an internship uh, in Mexico City with a real estate company. Uh, It was a great eye-opener to, uh, one, um, wealth inequality in a third world country. And... um, to uh, the perspective that other nations have towards the United States. So I, in essence, was living um, outside and looking in to the United States. Yeah, um, that's an interesting perspective to have, yeah. Tremendous, especially yeah. when uh, you grew up in a southern state, which I think, especially central. I mean, we were a central southern state mm-hmm. um, that does not have a lot of cultural diversity, in my opinion. Um, of course, we have a um, tremendous amount of Mexican nationals living here and, and Latinos, for that matter. Um, I know in the northern uh, pockets of Dallas, uh, the Asian community is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's not super diverse. And so me going out uh, from Mexico and then Costa Rica for years and uh, London, Madrid, and Barcelona, I uh, was able to really cultivate my points of view of the world and even the United States. And uh, build inner strength to um, go out and conquer as much as I can Yeah. in the short period you have on this earth.
0: Yeah. Now, didn't you also spend some time in, in
1: Costa Rica? I did. Um, I was there for a total of two years, uh, two different... Um, different stints. Different stints. Yeah. Um, and it was in the center of Costa Rica by San Jose and uh, the Northwest uh, by a volcano named Poas. if... Listeners are familiar with uh, that area. It's beautiful. Um, And there I did uh, work in the human rights sector, uh, focusing on um, combating uh, trafficking of guns, drugs, and and persons, Mm -hmm. and uh, worked in advising a friend's law firm. And uh, this was after um, school. So that was my stint in uh, Costa Rica. And
0: I've always thought you have a rather unique just history of places you've been, things you've experienced, perspectives you can bring up. I feel like every time we talk about something, you always bring up something that you've experienced mm-hmm. that mm. just kind of blows my mind a little bit. Uh, uh, there, There's probably going to be one of
1: those uh, here coming up. I'm sure. I'm glad uh, that you listen Yeah, and I have to give you credit. You do listen. Oh, thanks man. And all the experience I've had, especially meetings and public and private, you definitely listen. Um, I appreciate you bringing that up. I um I truly believe in experiential knowledge. Yeah. And um, there's a classic uh, philosophical battle between Plato and Aristotle, uh, where Plato states that intelligence comes from the gods, and Aristotle says it comes from experience. Dang. And um, for my previous statement, I I I clearly follow uh, Aristotle's points of view. I'm Ar- Aristotelian. And. Um, that is why I want to experience as much as I can uh, and bring that knowledge into any uh, venture or project organization that I'm a part of. Um, and so that's as I get older and my family grows, just as yours family is growing, yeah. uh, you really focus on efficiency of time and efforts. And I don't uh, overextend myself is, is what I want to say because yeah. A yeah. lot of, a lot of offers can come your way and you just want to be sure to say... How much can I truly contribute to this right now? That's a great one. Yeah, I fall prey to that too
0: much, uh, too much saying yes. (laughs) I think I've caught myself thinking I I may need to tone it down a little bit in certain areas. I understand. I'm sure you do understand. Okay, so uh, usually I like to also hit on how we've met. Mm. Um, There was, I I can go back and recall, there was like a week span of time where. Your name came up like almost every day <laughs> huh, <really? laughs> in various conversations, and then lo and behold, like after like the fourth or fifth time I'd heard your name, uh, we bumped into each other. I think at the network bar, yes. And I was like, dude, I feel like we're destined to meet because yes. I've been hearing your name a lot. And um, yeah, that's I, that. That's where I
1: recall it starting off. I yes. don't know if you recall. No, it, but right. yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, if I recall correctly you came up to me uh, at the yeah. network bar and said we have mutual contacts and uh i like to just sit and chat and yeah. we did yeah um
0: that's the uh, essence of the network bar
1: yeah i th- i uh i think it is <laughs> um i think also the fact that um you took a step outside the normal comfort zone of saying let's have a face to face we don't know each yeah. other that's right nowadays i think uh society is swinging back to that
0: yeah i think so yeah I think so. And I I've, I've kind of personally tried to make more effort to just have conversation rather than so much email or texting. Yes. Um, I feel like it just it, it clearly is the best way to communicate and anytime I have like a question, I need to reach out to a client, a friend, whatever, I I it just gets, it's so cumbersome to send an email and wait. Yes. Like, I'd rather just
1: pick up the phone phone. or swing by and talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I generally, when I start a relationship, uh, business and professional, I uh, ask in a polite way, uh, what's your preferred line of communication? Mm -hmm. And I always say, mine is face to face. Second is phone. Third is text. And then fourth is email. (laughs) And fifth
0: is like smoke
1: signals (laughs) and pigeons. (laughs) pigeons. (laughs)
0: There you go. Okay. So that's how we met. Now, you mentioned, I mean, I I know quite a bit about Saris and all you're doing with uh, it. Uh, I'd love for you to just enlighten the, the listeners, like what is Saris, whats What's what has been going on there? How did this concept come to you and mm. uh, you know, how'd you get it going?
1: Sure, so um, I returned um, to Dallas five and a half years ago. And I was abroad and even out of state for 10. And I mentioned before the countries I lived in, and uh, the longest stint was in Florida, and that when I was working in uh, higher ed. Um, so when I returned to Dallas, I wanted to uh, be able to work in the nonprofit space to make social impact, uh, as well as um, bring all of my previous knowledge to a to a business. And um, as it happens, just as you and I met, I met my business partner Bobby Catoli. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was raised here in the DFW area. And um, he is a, a Finn technologist. He's a financial technologist. Um, has started two previous companies. Um, is a, uh, a very dynamic individual who is by far the hardest worker I've ever seen. Wow. And he's sharp, too. Tremendously sharp. I haven't had the...
0: Yeah, you know, spent a ton of time with him, but the little I have, it's like, yeah. you can tell this
1: guy's a sharp yeah. guy. He's very sharp. Yeah, um, Nothing gets past him. Uh, we've actually had, I mean, as you can imagine, over the course of five years of being a part of two ventures and um, traveling to five different countries and seven different states, uh, we've had a lot of time to talk um, and get to know each other. and. He's not only financially one of the most savvy individuals I've ever met, um, but socially, culturally, mm-hmm. historically, philosophically. I mean, he knows um, the oh. in and, ins and outs of many worlds, uh, which is impressive for individual of his age. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to um, his mother, who um, very smart lady, um, who the story, many of the stories I've heard. You know, she came. Um, over from Iran and got her master's degree, had to learn English at that time, and uh, emphasized education to Bobby tremendously. Mm. And um, this, it, it complements uh, my background because my parents emphasized education as well. Um, so when I pressed to get my, um, or emphasized to my parents I really want to get my master's degree, they, they had uh, no pushback whatsoever. They encouraged me. And, um, so went around a tangent there, but, um, so when I returned to Dallas, um, um, met Bobby and, um, I was already doing work in the nonprofit space and, uh, it's within food. It's in food logistics because, uh, food is delivered to the nonprofit kitchen is distributed to children in the DIST area. Yeah. And, uh, I noticed uh, great inefficiencies there, um, and on a macro scale, uh, when Bobby and I put our heads together to start a business, we started importing a green coffee, mm. and green coffee being unroasted coffee. And there's two major regions of the world that produce coffee is Central and South America and Africa. There is coffee grown in India and China and, and other countries, but it's not to a great scale. Yeah. And as we went to those regions where I used to live, um, we were buying coffee Roasting it here, learn that process, and selling it to restaurants. Um, margins weren't great. Yeah, uh, barrier to entry was very steep. And um, coffee being uh, one of the l- um, longest-standing commodities internationally traded, it's hard to get into the business. So um, we, we saw that the coffee that was arriving from Central America to Dallas uh, would lose uh, flavor and lose quality really? during transit. Wow. Yeah. So um, take, for example, um, you know, wines are rated on a scale. you got the Robert Parker scale, mm. if you're familiar with it. And you have uh, the same type of scale for coffee. And it's determined by the um, Association of Specialty Coffees in Seattle. And it's from 0 to 100. And uh, 80 to 100 is specialty grade. Okay. Specialty grade is what you get at Accent- uh, um Transition. ascension yeah ascension. um starbucks starbucks you get uh 70 and below oh <laughs> you do <laughs> did not realize that and that's why they uh put a lot of creamers and sugars and flavors in it yeah and they also roast it to have um basically burnt they just say roasted dark yeah there's no you know varying degrees of flavor so when it arrived <clears throat> in costa rica we would we would cup the term we use you'd cup this coffee at a 95 and it would arrive and be a 90 okay or an 88 so we realized that um, there are great inefficiencies uh, and lows in the supply chain that we're not taking into consideration the quality of the product and so we leverage our tech backgrounds and um, built a team from UTD UT Arlington SMU TCU of developers um, in um, software development, UX/UI, yeah, um, hardware development, and blockchain uh, development, and put together this entire ecosystem of tracking in real time a perishable good as it moves through the supply chain. So that's perishable cool. being yeah. uh, any type of food product. Uh, another vertical of vaccinations uh, in pharma and in, in the pharmaceutical world, um, and that's where Sarah's, that's how Sarah's came about. That's awesome,
0: you know. So much to unpack there. Um, I'd like to start talking a bit about you know, the the co-founder relationship because mm-hmm. that's a hard one. I mm-hmm. mean, you've got a it's like a marriage, right? Correct. And you've got to work at it. I'm sure there's yes. times there's ups, there's downs, and yes, you know, um, it's
1: you guys have been together now for well over a year. Sarah's uh, the inception was two years ago. Yeah. Okay. Two yeah. years. And um, previous to that, um, Bob and I initially met, initially met five years ago. And uh, he had started a venture, and I was going to come be a part of it. Uh, so that was about four years ago. And then that folded. And so some time passed, and we kept in touch and then started running hard at, at Saris yeah. two years ago. But we've constantly been in contact for you know four and yeah. a half years.
0: Now that Yeah, that's kudos to you guys for... Getting to this point, I mean, then being together that long, mm-hmm. it's rare, unfortunately. Yes. you know, I think um, you hear, you know, so much glamour and glitz behind being an entrepreneur. Yes. <laughs> you know, a lot of it's not true. Yes. Um, I think one of the hardest things is finding a co-founder uh, or a business partner yes. that you can work
1: well with and yes. be successful with. Yes. Um, you mentioned it being like a marriage. Yeah, and I I totally agree, and it um I think there's two um, aspects that make Bobby and I a great team, and it's one, it's mutual respect, yeah, and number two, our skill sets complement each other. Nice, and um, when it comes to um, strategy, um, which is generally my my forte, yep. uh, Bobby will defer, and if it comes to uh, anything financial. I'll defer to Bobby, and uh, I must give credit to uh, a mutual colleague of ours, Tony Folleo, yeah, from Social Venture Partners, who is traditionally was a marriage and family counselor. That's right. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people know that. And then um, he later became a corporate psychologist, if you will. And so Bobby and I sat with him uh, for a conversation years yeah. ago, and uh, he, Tony gave us some great insight, just simply about communication. And I even joke um, with Bobby and my wife that uh, it is like a marriage. Yeah. And at times, Bobby and I talk more than my wife and I talk. mm mm-hmm. um, I come home and the the kids need to be taken care of, and then uh, by then it's bedtime, and then by then I have to rub my wife's feet and I go to bed. <laughs> That's it. That's right. There's yeah. no talking. There's no
0: time for talking. No, there's no. Especially with kids. Yeah. No. Yeah, you don't know. Know the feeling. And for me, I, I'm an introvert, and so um, it's even hard. I don't know if you are, but it's hard for me. There are times where, like, I just have to tell her, "Look, I'm, I love you." I just, I can't. Yes. Yeah, I'll sit here and you can talk to me, but I just can't. Um, I, I just can't right now. Yes, <laughs> I'm so thankful she understands what yes. that's like. Um, okay, so moving back into into Sarah. So I recall um and especially in the early stages when you guys were were tracking coffee mm-hmm. you know i thought it was incredible the process you guys went through to really beta test it mm. and uh kind of the stories you shared with me like being there um you know at the coffee plantation trying
1: putting that first tracker on and yes. seeing it all the way through yes what was that like you know that was um Let's just say we're at stage ten. That was stage three. Okay. Um, stage one and two, and I'll go back to the coffee. Stage one and two was um, one was um, coming up with the idea, going to a Micro Center, pulling devices off the shelf, um, combining that with um, what type of software platform we want to use, um, and then we started diving into smart contracts and how to implement blockchain. At one point, this was uh, when the ICOs were really big, and people were raising ridiculous amounts of money on the f- on crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, and we decided not to take that route because it'd be just it's uh, too cumbersome. At the same time, uh, not great regulation. as yeah. you probably read. Yeah. Um, step two was uh, for us to uh, test this device, and what we did was um, as Bobby and I. Um, he having a very international background, even more so than mine, said, let's let's board a cargo ship and uh, ride it to whatever the de- destination is yeah. uh, with our device to see if it actually works. And so we, we quickly learned uh, the Pacific and Atlantic uh, shipping routes. Wow. And um, we're told by um, online experts that it would take you probably six to nine months to get onto a ship. To get okay. all the paperwork done, and yeah. so we did it in three months. Okay, we went through a third party. Um, what's a cruise line? The Caribbean. Well, it's yeah, but. Uh, the, Maersk. Well, correct. So this this is with Maersk and um, and an agent that would book the flight, okay. book the uh, the trip, and um, so we f- we we found a route from Mexico to Colombia. And so I called a friend of mine I used to to work with in Mexico and said, "Here's our plan. here's what we want to do. Can you help us get us to the coast?" And uh, we ride this ship. And he he great. He made some contacts for us. We got a bag of coffee, onboarded, got onto this ship uh, in Mexico and rode it six days south, six and a half days south yeah. with no internet, <laughs> uh, with a crew yeah. of um, I think it was about forty five guys. Uh, Romanian captain and Filipino crew. And if, if you've not seen a cargo ship, the way I uh, describe it is, it is a 100-story building laying on water. Okay. And each floor uh, can contain five containers, which containers are as long as a, a floor of a building, full of product. And um, so we were allowed to, uh, after talking to the crew and the captain, we are allowed to walk around the ship and place our bag of coffee that had a device in it that was tracking GPS, moisture, humidity, and temperature around the ship. And then we'd go back, and we'd, we'd plot its course. And um, the, uh, the stories we tell are two. <laughs> um, one is after on day five, we were in the, the gym on the ship, and the captain came in, and he slowly approached us and uh, said, you know who, what his name was, and where he's from. And he said, "So you guys are?" He's a Romanian. I, don't, I can't do a Romanian accent, but <laughs> he said, "So you guys are from America and North America?" We said, "Yes." And he said, uh, "Why did you board a cargo ship?" And we said, "It's it's research for our for our business." He said, "Well, um, I understand you have devices. You have these tracking devices." I said, "Yeah." He said, "Can I ask a, a real question?" We said, "Sure." He said, do you work for the CIA? Yeah. And we said, no, we do not work for the CIA. And the next day, the uh, one of the crewmen asked, um, after learning from the captain what the devices were, and that we had a bag of coffee on board, he said, uh, you guys are going to Columbia? We said, yes. Uh, he said, are you running drugs? Yeah. And we said, no, we're not <laughs> running drugs. We're, yeah. running, we're running coffee. What? <laughs>
0: If we were just to play that back and and say and pretend your answers to
1: both those questions were yes, yeah, <laughs> what would have happened? We might have been quarantined. <laughs> yeah. We might have been blocked off in our in our yeah. cabins. Wow. Um, yeah, of the, course. you on the straight and narrow. Of course. Yeah, but you know, I I think if we had said yes, we're running drugs. To be honest, I don't think they would have done anything. Wow. It, it's really the. Um, what i learned from my perspective it's the the uh cargo lines and um <clears throat> the oceans are wild west i mean they're regulated they uh they do have their uh connecting points and you know from hong kong to to los angeles but you know there a lot goes on and a lot of people don't know yeah so i think all the more reason for your technology then right absolutely yeah absolutely um there's a uh, another story on, on uh on the ship we uh were able to tour the engine the engine room yeah which is massive and um i asked the the engineer i said what type of fuel do you burn and he he kind of smiled and he said well along shore we have to we have to burn a, a high quality diesel mm. he said when we're out in the middle of the ocean we burn whatever we want damn and so um you talk about carbon emissions and uh, yeah. issues that future generations are going to face. Uh, it's because of lack of regulation on certain areas, certain industries mm-hmm. that just go, go unnoticed. Right. Because he's out in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Unbelievable.
0: Well, okay. So you guys have progressed well past stage three. You say you're at stage 10. So what's what's the company looking like right now and um, what are the types of things you're working
1: on? Sure. Um, so I don't want to send the, the wrong message. I mean, I'd mean, i say 10 is um, um, a full-fledged um, scaling business that right. has hundreds of employees. Uh, we will be at that point. I'm confident we're going to be at that point. Um, I'd say that uh, the technology is continually advancing, as most technology is. Um, but we have gone through the beta testing and the prototypes and the, uh, the POC runs. Uh, we have paying clients. Uh, we have clients in the food sector and coffee sector. Uh, one we're working on uh, in gold. Oh, yeah. Nice. So gold, um, when it's in its ore form and being extracted from the ground, um, also is surrounded by other ores and other minerals, and those other minerals can be affected by the environment, particularly moisture, mm-hmm. and that can... Um, diminish the quality of the gold before it's uh, processed. And we also are talking to a seed company, they germinate seeds. Okay. They put it into um, a biodegradable tape that is um, rolled up into a, into a spool and then sent out to the, the grain belt, Missouri, mm. Kansas, Nebraska, and unrolled it already has six weeks of germination before they place it in the ground. And um, as it's being shipped to those areas, they're losing twenty percent of their um, their inventory due to um, spoilage wow, because the okay. seeds are being spoiled uh, by moisture and humidity. Yeah. So um, those are those is example of some f- a few clients and a few trial runs. Um, but we're working through the patent process uh, on the technology. Yeah. Uh, we're already scouting out for new developers, um, and software. Um, so, I mean, it's Andrew's growing. It's that's we good. are. I say this often, but we are conservatively optimistic. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, in terms of just you mentioned
0: the the humidity issues and just the, the spoilage, all that what then does the technology aim to, to solve for? Is it creating awareness? Is it proper packaging all the above? You know, what's, what are your,
1: your customers, um, looking to gain out of this? Yeah. Good question. Um, you know, a lot of our clients, um, want to know in real time, number one, where their product is and there are devices out there that can track where your product is, but it's simply GPS. And, um, It's not multifunctional, and so ours um, can tell you uh, in almost real time. Many devices out there say real time, but the truth is, it's almost real time because if it's in the middle of the ocean, inside a metal container, at the bottom of a hole of a ship, you are not going to have connectivity to to cell towers, satellites, or the cloud. So, um, what our device does is it it continually monitors the environment and stores that data. Until it reaches uh, connectivity, and then sends that data up to the cloud. And what are depending on the good that's being transported uh, depends on uh, what what the client, or the seller, or the buyer yeah. uh, wants to know. So, coffee is moisture, definitely the seeds. Uh, the seed company we're working with is the same. Uh, they want to know moisture. Um, gold is moisture as well, um, but there's some products, especially when it comes to vaccinations, that uh, need to focus on luminosity. Mm. if there is a great amount of sun coming in, it could damage or even ruin or spoil these, uh, these vaccinations. Yeah. So interesting.
0: Yeah. I, I imagine this is applicable to so many different facets of the supply chain, mm-hmm. not just these perishables. Yeah. Yes. But, um, you You've always talked about how good your team is. Uh-huh. Uh, you're really lucky, man. You're very fortunate I to have such a great team. I agree with you. Um, you've got. Uh, I know it took a lot of work to get them, and um, and you know, of course they're working really hard as well. But uh, man, a team can make such a big difference to the that already razor thin margin of success yes. for a company, can yes. it?
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you say you you, you, know, you give us credit for working hard at that. I. I'd have to say that it uh, truly happened organically yeah. just in having conversations with good people uh, who want to create a company that is going to have uh, impact on a domestic and international market. Yeah. And um, you know, part of our play and part of, uh, part of you know, our playbook is uh, we want to be able to mitigate spoilage and waste and theft and uh, perishable goods in the supply chain. And this, in return, uh, would cut costs for companies yeah. and be able to feed more people in the end. There you go. Because there's, um, there's a food epidemic in uh, many countries, um, and there's a food issue, I would say, in North America. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, it happens in major metropolitan areas uh, when there is access to a lot of food, but it's a logistics issue and it's getting product moved in a timely manner, uh, in an effective manner, Um, and so it doesn't spoil, and you can serve more people. Yeah, that's great, and along the lines of food, I mean,
0: the great transition point to Hunger Busters, the nonprofit you you run. Um, I've become acquainted with Hunger Busters, clearly through you and other other means, but um, I'm always blown away by what you guys do, and for people out there that haven't heard, you know you guys create bag up these lunch lunch brown bags mm-hmm. yes and as kids are leaving school you meet them there and hand them this bag of lunch and yes. why this is so important is because this is potentially and oftentimes the final meal of the day for these kids right, right?
1: correct so tell us tell us all more about hunger busters what's going on Sure. So the previous director, uh, Brandon Barganski was a friend of mine, is a friend of mine. And, um, he was a director, uh, for six years. And, uh, he and his family were moving out of town and, um, he said, Trey, um, I really think you'd be good in this role because the amount of resources and energy you can bring to the organization, um, and to make uh, more of a dent in this, this, uh, Food deserts, food epidemic in west and southern Dallas. And um, the mission has been for the past 12 years to deliver at the end of school uh, a take-home meal. And this take-home meal consists of uh, fresh uh, turkey ham sandwiches, uh, a cookie, um, a piece of fruit, an apple and an orange, um, and then also a piece of a vegetable, a celery, or a carrot. And um, it's specific because it all goes into the one bag. And we deliver those um, Monday through Friday directly to the schools, directly to the principals who then just uh, send these meals out mm-hmm. to the children that are in most need.
0: Yeah. So. And you guys source the food. I mean, this isn't just like spoiled that's coming in, and you're trying to get I mean, this
1: is good stuff, right? Of course, yes. No, good point. I'm glad that you uh, pay attention to that, yeah. Andrew, because uh, we receive fresh bread yeah. uh, daily, even every other day um, from Village Bakery and Eatsy's. Yeah. Uh, we Which are good ba- good places. Tremendous. Yeah. I mean, there's one loaf of full loaf of sliced bread from Eatsy's is $7. Yeah, amazing. And we're talking multi grained uh, wheat. Uh, multiple, yeah, uh, a great partnership. Flavors of, of bread, and then the other the other uh, items in the meals are distributed from U.S. Foods, and we work uh, with them to lower costs and get us uh, food weekly, mm-hmm. and then it's sent out the following day. And who's packing these lunches for you? All volunteers. Awesome. We have a list of uh, five thousand volunteers that we call on. Uh, they come uh, Sunday through Thursday and there's three shifts per day and so they I've I've actually uh, done the math and um, the amount of volunteers that come in let's say we we're just to pay them ten dollars a little bit higher than than your average yeah. your um, minimum right, wage minimum yeah. wage is um probably three hundred fifty thousand dollars of, of labor a year Wow yeah
0: it's amazing um yeah Last time, well, let's see, about this time last year or so, um, you had just extended the your center, right? Made yes. it larger. Yeah. And that's made a big dent, because last, th- last time I saw it, I thought you were kind of around the 200,000 meals per year mark. Yes. Now you're four,
1: over 400,000.
0: Yes. It's incredible.
1: Good memory. So we were at 250 Yeah. Uh, two years ago. And in fact, just last, we're still finishing, but it should be done this weekend. We've expanded even more. Oh wow. So we now have a 3000 square foot uh prep kitchen facility in West Dallas. Mm-hmm. Nice. And uh when I started it was uh, 1000 square feet. So we are now uh working on a contract with um the state of Texas to receive uh reimbursement funds to feed more children. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's
0: such an it's such a needed you know, nonprofit, such a needed mission. Unfortunately, there are so many kids that just go home and don't have food when they get yeah. home right
1: yeah um we we calculate eighty seven percent of all students that attend d i s d which is about yeah, hundred and forty five thousand students that's crazy, yeah, go home without eating food yeah. or go home and to to no meals right and as many people know, the state subsidizes breakfasts and lunches um but um many people know that those are not quality meals right so yeah. That's why we we focus on fresh meals. And um, a story I always share there is you get your white Wonder Bread. Yeah. yeah. It's not the healthiest bread. It actually doesn't have a lot of nutrients. I used to love it. But then you (laughs) you find out white bread's not so good for you. Not so good for you. And so um, we have introduced multigrain, whole grain, wheat. Oh, that's fantastic. Quality bread. Yeah. And to the schools that first try it, they don't like it. Yeah. And then three weeks later, they can't get enough of it. Dang. Yeah.
0: That's incredible, man. So then how do people get involved? How do they either get their companies involved or how can they get involved as groups or individuals?
1: Yeah. We have a website where you can sign up to volunteer and even uh, donate. It's uh, hungerbusters.com. Even come by The Kitchen, uh, which is in Trinity Groves area in West Dallas on Singleton and Sylvan. Um, Sunday through Thursday. There you go. Yeah. That's great, man.
0: Okay, so one thought I had uh, before you came and met with me here uh-huh. today. You've got a startup that you are running, uh-huh. of course, with with Bobby and the team. You've got this nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You've got a wife and family at home. How do you balance it all out?
1: Yeah. Um. My wife would probably say, maybe um, imbalance it out. (laughs) How am I imbalancing it? Well, it goes back to um, if you make your work, if you make your passions your work, um, then everything falls into place. And my wife is very, very supportive. Yeah. Um, She knows that there is a tremendous need to feed children. And she has learned, just as I have, that there's a tremendous need to mitigate spoilage in the supply chain. so she supports me. Um, there's many days where I'm answering emails and um, getting my day going at 7 o'clock, and then I come home at 6.30, um, spend a few hours with the kids and her and, and my wife, and then um, I call Bobby to, to hash through some things. And the um, second component that makes it, um, makes it uh, doable is that Bobby... Uh, is very understanding yeah. of, of my life, um, the choices my wife and I have made to have children, um, greatly respects uh, my family, uh, as well as uh, my wife very much likes Bobby. That's, that goes a long way. It goes a very yeah. long way. And, um, in fact, she has said, you know, I wish we could see more of Bobby. Okay. Uh, but Bobby, uh, much like me, um, we're obsessive and we want to focus all of our <laughs> yeah. energies onto um, growing the entities and everything we're a part of and so um, a lot of times he, making um, time to be social is hard
0: yeah oh so, yeah definitely yeah
1: my wife runs our social calendar
0: mm. and then every now and then I remember man I need to see my friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> miss those guys um, all right Trey let's let's move into the lightning round Sure all right, we'll just uh, go through these questions maybe a little quicker than usual. We may dig into some of these, but okay. we'll kind of see where it goes. What do you wish you had known when you started your career, when you started down, I don't know, this whole path you've been down? What, what would you tell your, your younger self if you could go back?
1: I would tell um, numerous things. I'd say, number one, um, be patient. Um, I'd say, number two, that, um, in my perspective, two things make the world go round. Okay. And it's people and ideas. And um, for the financial self, I would say focus on micro and macroeconomics. And uh, don't overspend. Truly dig into the numbers and know that um, the price that you see in many circumstances truly isn't the price. Um, always negotiate uh, respectfully. Negotiate right. Um, those are a few things that come to mind. I would tell myself,
0: I'm in the midst of uh, negotiating a new vehicle. Yes,
1: for the family. I won't say anything else about it. But that's (laughs) all. I did that uh, two year, a year and a half ago. Yeah, and um, I will assist you if you need it. Okay. I I would I wouldn't enjoy it either, but I I would do it with you. I love it.
0: Do you believe it or not? Like I love the whole process. I love negotiating. I love. I, I tell my friends like, um, if you're gonna buy a car, please bring me with you. Uh, <laughs> I wish I would have known that a year and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I don't know why I'm crazy, but uh, I do.
1: Well, I'll tell you, I um I don't buy brand new. Yeah, six months to a year old. There you go. And um the the vehicle we just recently bought um. It was used, and I went to a dealership that had it. It was the exact car that my wife wanted. And um, I went through the whole process of going in and out and the salesman, you know, yeah. back and forth. And so finally we came to a price, and still even after the we shook hands and agreed on it, I still had to go sign the paperwork. Mm-hmm. And that gentleman there said, hey, well, I've got this great package oh. for insurance and blah, 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 and I've already added it. What do you think? And I said, not interested. Were well, you sure? I said, I'm not interested. Yeah. You know, just making it making uh, it more difficult for it's you. Terrible. So let me clarify. That
0: process is hell. Okay. The negotiating and getting the the, the deal. Is that's what, what, what like. I love. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, there's a book called Never Split the Difference. Okay. And it's uh, written by an, an FBI hostage negotiator. Really. And it's all it's applicable to so many facets, especially business. I'll Have to look it up. I've listened to that thing three times. Really. I love that book. Yeah. Okay. You should check it out. All right,
1: so who or what's influenced you the most? You know, I think if you'd asked me that before I had a family, yeah, um, I'd say it was my travels, um, taking advantage of opportunities that were presented in front of me, and of course, uh, three tremendous mentors um, that I had, that I was given in my life, mm-hmm. being uh, my father, um, a gentleman named um, Dr. Kerr and then uh, an uncle of mine. Um, just great examples of of how to be a better man and how to serve and um, to stick to your values and be honest. Yeah, but um, after having a family, the greatest motivator for me is my family. Yeah, 100%. And it's to provide for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's to be the best father, um, and the best role model, and the best husband that I can be. Yeah. Um, of course, I stumble. I think everybody does. It's a learning process. We're human. Yes. But it's the uh, it's my family. Yeah. They're they're your why,
0: huh? Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Is there anything you're learning about right now?
1: Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, I mentioned offline when we started this. I'm reading three books. Yeah. And. Um, the one book I'm digging into right now is called Coke Land, K-O-C-H uh, Land, which is about the uh, Koch brothers in Kansas and the Koch Industries, which is an oil and gas. And uh, it was writ- written. it is written by uh, Christopher Leonard, and uh, it's taken him eight years is what he said to uh, pull, pull this book together. Dang. And for me, it uh, it's teaching valuable lessons about economics and about um, – being frugal with your money, and and not frugal in the in the positive sense of um, making sure you apply dollars where need to be applied, and you're not wasteful, right? Um, but also a culture that will um, come behind a company. And I, if there's some listeners that uh, have read this book or know about it, there it's not always a happy ending, or it's not a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, there are some some fraudulent issues that are being accused in this book. Um, but the practices um, grew an industry or grew a, a business in an industry that uh, is very tough, oil and gas um, to being one of the largest publicly or privately held excuse me privately held companies in North America. Mm. So interesting. I'll uh, have to check that out. Yeah,
0: it's sounds kind of pretty idea. good. Okay, we've been talking coffee, but what's your coffee of choice?
1: So, um, truth be told, I, I do have a coffee choice, but truth yeah. be told is I don't drink coffee. Oh, man. Bombshell. I can actually count on two hands the uh, number of cups I've had in my life. Wow. Yeah. But but um, I, much like, you know, uh, a bourbon or a whiskey. Yes. Uh, much more of a connoisseur. Okay. And have... A few drinks here and there, but not a lot. Same yeah. with coffee. And as uh, Bobby and I were touring Central America in the coffee fields, uh, in the mills, uh, we would sit uh, much like a table like this. It's a uh, circle. It's a circle table, and it's white, and it can it can rotate. Yeah. And uh, you put different cups of coffee on it, and you spin it. That's you, cool. You you, you uh, dip your spoon into the coffee, and you you sip it and it is a distinct way to sip it uh, so you get all the flavor on your palate. Nice. Um, So I went through many, many of uh, those tastings. You did it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Great cultural experience. That's awesome. Um, And uh, so I would say uh, there's a coffee called um, Geisha. Mm. Spelled just like the uh, Japanese Geisha. Yeah. And it's grown in uh, Costa Rica. It's grown in Central America in general, but we found it in Costa Rica. And uh we spoke to a Canadian coffee broker and he would sell it to Japanese, South Koreans, Damn. uh wealthy Chinese, uh, for ninety dollars a pound. I'm guessing that's high for coffee. Well, just to give you just put it in perspective, yeah. um Folgers, which is bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Um, that's why I spent so much money on marketing. Yeah. Right? Bring the what's the logo? The best Part of waking, waking up, <laughs> up right, right. <laughs> Folgers, and you're opening can. up the can. Um, it's it's one of the worst coffees out there. It's freezer dried and it's it's ground up in a freezer dried. But well, I guess they'll never be a sponsor of this show. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Thanks funny. a lot, Trey. That's funny. Just kidding. Well, um, I'll get you better coffee <laughs> if you need coffee. I'll get you better coffee. But um, I, the last time I checked, I think that Folgers is six dollars. God. Yeah, and you you go to Ascension or um, any other small shop in town that has quality. Yeah, you could get a pound of really really good coffee for twelve fifteen dollars. Yeah,
0: man. So ninety dollars. When you think about the price per barrel of oil.
1: Oh sure. You know,
0: compared to a pound of coffee, that's insane. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned whiskey, bourbon. What's your adult
1: drink of choice? red wine really yeah i'm a yeah. i uh I'm a red wine connoisseur. I lived in Spain for years. I lived in England um my boss at the time uh married into a wine family yeah and it uh their vineyard was south of Madrid in a town called Valde Pinas. and as you know Spain is famous for the rioja mm-hmm. and um I was able to travel around uh to a- almost every region of Spain. Serve Galicia and País Vasco, and try all the wine. And so that that put me down the rabbit hole of learning where the grapes come from, um, how they're grown, where they're grown, the best the best um, environment to grow them in. And then followed I mean, much like coffee, uh, grapes uh, are transplanted into Argentina, into Chile, into um, mm. Mexico, and uh, you get different flavors from the exact same grape. Uh, Same as coffee beans originated from Africa. Uh, They say the first coffee bean uh, was used in Ethiopia. Didn't realize that. Yes. So a lot of coffee has been uh, planted from Africa and Central America. So you're going to get a different flavor. But my go-to is red wine. Okay. Um, Also, uh, a little bit goes a long way. Yeah. Especially for your health. So. what I hear. Yes. Are
0: you a morning person or a night person? I'm night. Night. Yeah, staying up late,
1: doing some yeah. work. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah I'm guys. with oh, you. Oh. I do that. Oh, it's it's uh, it's quiet. You know, especially with yeah. kids in the morning. You know, the kids waking up at six thirty, and you you're starting your day, and yeah, so you kind of have to be both. <laughs> you have to be both <laughs> morning and night. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. Uh, to truly function, right, uh, best for me is uh, later in the day. Cool. Last one here. What do you look forward to the most each weekend? Um, my son right now is three years old. Yeah. And we bought him a Strider bike. Okay. Which is a bicycle that has no pedals. Ah, yes. And they just run. And he uh, learned how to coast and stop uh, at the age right before two. Dang, that's awesome. And uh, I used to uh, cycle... Uh, during college and after uh, on a uh, on a team and I like cycling so I look forward to riding with him that's cool yeah that's awesome
0: I, I think there's not enough uh, I feel like bike riding as a form of fun for kids has reduced yes especially since like we were kids you yes. know it's like oh. our our way of just getting around everywhere yes um yeah even uh, like sense of freedom yeah that freedom and mm-hmm. hey i'm going to go over here and meet up with
1: you know johnny or whatever and i'm going to
0: but uh i can't do that anymore yeah i don't know what's up with that
1: i i've been told from um colleagues that have younger siblings much younger uh, 15 years old yeah uh which could be our kids <laughs> kids younger um that uh, they're getting away from a lot of the social media platforms and they're going back to Original routes. In That's fact, good. I um, we live in North Dallas, north uh, north of six thirty-five, and um, I will go out for a bike ride or a walk with my son on the weekend mm-hmm. for maybe two and a half hours. Go to the park, go to the creek, and leave my cell phone. Nice. And so I've I've you like know, the mind. old days, like the old days. Yeah. And I and I and uh, this because it's you know daylight saving time and uh, sunsets early. I tell my wife we'll be home at six o'clock. Yeah. Because the sun is setting. He's going to be hungry. And yeah. we'll be home. And if there's ever an issue, uh, she'll know where we are. We're at the creek, we're at the park, we're on the other side of the street and just right. yell. <laughs> right. That's right. That's
0: right. Um, okay. So, Trey, you survived the lightning round. Great. Thank Congrats, you. man. All right. So, what, we'll go ahead and start wrapping up here. Um, you mentioned earlier you've got a handful of clients right now, if not more, at Ceres. How does a client or customer get in touch with you
1: guys to to start we, uh, working with you all? Yes, I appreciate you asking. Ceres is C-E-R-E-S tech, tec co is our website. There you can find all the information about uh, who we are and what we're doing and the technology that um, could be and hopefully is applicable to the Your industry if it's in supply chain Um, there you can also set up for a trial run uh, and even see read into some of our use cases and see examples of our clients and how they're implementing the tech Um,
0: yeah I've seen uh, those use cases it's uh, it's pretty cool yeah it's tell a good story yeah that's awesome Trey thanks so much for being a guest on the show thank you Andrew we're gonna have to have you on again another time okay (laughs) it'll be good all right well Trey thanks again and thank you all so much for being um, listeners of our show, the Louder Co. Dallas-Based Innovators Podcast. I'm Andrew Louder, signing out. That's our show for today. We hope you took away something valuable. Be sure to visit Louderco at louderco.com for more. Thank you again, and stay tuned for more from Dallas-based innovators.